you wouldn't open your Bibles to Colossians chapter three, Colossians chapter three, and that song really is a summary of what this book is about. Colossians chapter three, and uh, actually the whole book really tells us about new life in Christ. And uh, so this morning we're going to look at that, and that song is just a just a really good summary of what this book is. Thankful to be able to be back, and uh, here we were able to go to Corpus last week, and I was able to speak at my uncle's church and help fill in while he was out, so I'm thankful that uh, I was, had the ability and liberty to do that, and uh, thank, he was thankful as well, and uh, that was a help, but I'm so glad to be back here and be able to be with you today and be able to speak uh, uh, from the book of Colossians. The book of Colossians, uh, in chapter 3, verse 12 through 14, is what we're going to look at. But on that screen there, you see really the theme or the central verse of this book. It says, as you receive Christ, Jesus the Lord, so walk in him. So really the theme of this book, or what we would look at, is the way into the Christian life, or the way that we are saved is through Christ, and the way forward in the Christian life is through Christ. All of it is through Christ. And when we see that, sing that song, Complete in Thee, we realize we're complete in Christ. We need no other thing except for Jesus. One of the problems, though, in the book of Colossians that Paul addresses is that, is that these people were actually having trouble with adding things. People were saying, you need more knowledge, you need more things besides Jesus. Certain days should actually uh, be celebrated. You need certain to do certain things, follow certain things, and that will help you become more in Christ, or be a better person, or actually you would have this fuller knowledge. And they were, Paul really says, no, what you need is Christ. The way into the Christian life is through Christ. The way forward in the Christian life is through Christ. And so what we need is Christ. But we're going to look in, in Colossians chapter 3, and we're going to see the qualities of a new life in Christ. And we're going to talk about the Christian's clothing. And if you're excited about clothes, you may be loving a message about clothes, and you may think, this is wonderful, we're going to talk about uh, clothing, and we're going to hopefully talk about Gucci and Prada, and uh, those kind of things, and maybe, maybe my favorite brand, Magellan, uh, that you can get from Academy, uh, or maybe you know when one of those wonderful uh, packages from Duluth Trading Company comes in and I get a new pair of jeans, man, no, that's, the not, that's not what we're talking about today. We'll actually be talking about the Christ-like qualities that every believer should strive to have. The Christ-like qualities that every believer should strive to have. And I say this is like the Christian's clothing because when we look at Colossians 3, uh, 3 12, and, uh, 12 through 14, and even the previous uh, verses, we see this language of put on and put off. And these are the qualities that God, or Paul, uh, tells us and God, through the writing of Paul, tells us to put on. Okay, so let's look in Colossians chapter 3, verse 12. And these are the things that God tells us we should be concerned about. Just decide if you're more concerned about your Prada and your clothing and those things, uh, then these things, your priorities are already in the wrong place. This is what, as Christians, we should strive to do, to put on these things. So Colossians three twelve through 14. Put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another, and if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other. 
as the Lord has forgiven you, so also you must forgive. And above all these things, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And we see here this language of put on and put off was used before this, but these are the qualities, Christ-like qualities, that we should wear as a Christian. Let me pray as we go forward in this message. Father, would you give wisdom as we look at this text? Lord, help us to see Jesus through this. And Lord, as we see Jesus, I pray that we would represent Jesus with how we live. Thank you, Lord, for this text. I pray that you would help me to make it clear. Use the Holy Spirit to convict and convince us of your righteousness and your goodness. Help us, Lord, to walk in a way that's worthy of your calling and walk in the way that you have called us to do so. In Jesus' name, amen. These verses start really back, in, or this section really starts back in Colossians 3.1. And he really tells us, he, tells, he starts us off there in Colossians 3.1. It says, if you've been raised with Christ, seek things that are above where Christ is. And he goes on and he uses this chapter to tell us to seek these things, to put on these things, to follow these things that Christ has, uh, has done, the qualities that look like Jesus. And really, this is a replacement. So we looked, it's been a long time ago, but we looked at Colossians and the verses before this. And those, those verses told us things to put off, to take off, the things that we should not be doing, sins that Paul says leave out of your life. God wants us to now put on these Christ-like qualities. If you looked in other places, in Ephesians, Galatians, and Romans, there's other passages that basically list uh, these qualities, similar qualities that we should do and we should have. And we really need to see a new character, should, a person that has a new character should have new characteristics. A person that has a new life in Christ should have new clothing or a new thing that they look like, a new person that they look like. And let's look first, though, at what we base all of this on. We're going to look in verse 12. It says, it says there, put on as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved. And we want to start, stop right there. And so in this text, God very clearly says the reason, or the first point we'll see, is the new person. The new person is what we're going to have. If you would, go to the next slide to the, to the outline there, and you, you'd be able to see uh, the new person, God's possession. Three things in the verse 12 describe this new person. He says this, chosen, holy, and beloved. And so all of this, and even as we look at this whole passage, he based what Christ did as the basis for our living, he bases even what we put on as, as, on these things here. And he tells us three things, chosen, holy, and beloved. And so remember, as we look through this, the reason that we can put on Christ-like qualities is because we are a new person in Jesus. We are God's possession. We are God's family. We are part of His. And so we should live like that. So the first thing we see there is that word chosen. The believer, described by the word chosen or elect, chose of God, Chosen before the foundation of the world, as Ephesians 1 4 says. And this doctrine is one of the most beautiful doctrines in Scripture. It's, it's taught in many places throughout uh, uh, the, the epistles, numerous epistles, Paul's mentions, that we are God's possession. We are chosen by Him. And you may say, well, I don't know if I like that doctrine. It makes, uh, makes me uncomfortable. What's so beautiful about it? The reason it's so beautiful is because when we know that we are chosen by God, that He, is, he reaches down and, and, and elects us, 
is because it takes away the pride and haughtiness of man. It makes us as believers give all the glory to God instead of ourself. Election, or this being chosen by God, doesn't take away the responsibility that I have to repent and believe. That doesn't take away that responsibility. God gives us the ability to have faith and believe. It's beautiful doctrine because instead of basing my salvation on my goodness and my works, or maybe the fact that, man, I was smart enough to believe, I was wise enough to think through this, I looked at all the other choices and I chose God instead of all those things, instead of that, we look at this and realize God, God reached down and loved me first before I loved him. There was once a person, that, an older woman in a, in a church, that uh, it's been told that, that she said this. She had heard some preachers dwelling on this doctrine of election, and she said, you know, I've settled that long ago. For if God hadn't chosen me before I was born, I'm sure he would have not seen anything in me to choose me afterwards. We didn't do anything to deserve God's grace. And if you struggle with that, If you struggle with that doctrine saying, you know what, I did this to deserve God's grace, you might have a problem with pride and me. And you might have a realization that the clarity of the gospel, God's gift of salvation, sometimes might not be a gift. You might think it's earned. And God not only does that, He not only reaches down and saves us because of His goodness, and grace. He reaches down and saves us. He also, as it says in this verse, in verse 12, he chooses us and he calls us holy and beloved. A holy person is a person that's set apart. God sets us apart for his own glory. He declares us righteous. He declares us holy. I don't declare myself holy. And as much as I try, I know I can't live holy, but God, because of his righteousness, because of Jesus and his death and resurrection, declares me holy, and he sets me apart to live a life in righteousness towards him. And then he says another beautiful word. He says we're not only chosen ones, we're not only holy, set apart for him. We are beloved. We are beloved. Believers are the object of God's undeserved, incomprehensible love. When a Christian starts to understand how loved they are by God, It will change their life. When you realize who you are in Christ and that you're loved by this King, the Creator of the universe, the King of the world, when you're loved by Him, He calls you beloved. It should transform the way we live. It should make me say, I want to live for Him. What He tells me to put on and put off, I want to do because He loves me. He calls me His beloved. God loves you more than you can love Him. God loves you more than you can love another person. God loves you even more than you can love yourself. And incredibly, because I know how much I love myself, that's quite a bit. God loves us so much that he sent his son to die for us. God loves us so much that he sent his only son to die on the cross for us. He loves you so much that he sent his son to die so that you would believe and trust in him. The barrier between us and God is sin. The barrier between us and God and and heaven is sin. God cannot allow righteousness into his presence. And God calls out and he says, I love you enough to send my son to die in your place. He says, I'm willing to give to uh, give my son to die in your place. And Jesus died and he rose again. 
and He's alive for us today so that we can believe in Him and trust in Him and have faith and have eternal life. If you have never trusted Christ as your Savior, if you're, if you're here and you're thinking, you know what, I've heard about Christ all, all these years. I've heard, I've, maybe I'm new to churches, or I, I just don't know about Christianity. What you need to know is that God made you, but you've sinned. But God, God's not going to just leave you in that sin. God gives you the opportunity to repent and believe. To say, God, forgive me of my sin and let me trust in you and believe. God loves you. He is kind and gracious and loving. And if you've never trusted him, don't delay. What a wonderful and beautiful day it would be today to trust Christ and say, God, I want to be yours. And if God's even calling out to you now and saying, trust in me, that's his good gift calling you. Repent and believe. And God calls us, those of us that have repented and believed, that he's chosen and calls us holy, he calls us beloved. It's beautiful when we are loved by somebody. Sometimes the world, the biggest thing in this world that's a struggle is people loving or hating each other. We're missing love for one another. But the God of this world calls his children loved. Isn't he a gracious and good God? And so based on what Jesus has done, wouldn't you want to live for him? If God has done this for us, if he chose us, set us apart, and he loves us, he saved us from our sin, wouldn't you want to live for him? Well, that's what he tells us to do. He tells us in verse 12, put on then, this is a command, this is what you should do, this is what you should live like. Put on these Christ-like qualities, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility. Let's look at compassionate hearts. A great translation of this word would be a heart of compassion, pity and mercy and sympathy, seeing somebody else in need and helping them else, uh, helping them out. Many would look at this as a social responsibility, but it, can, it really is, is meant for Christians within the church, but also for us without, outside of the church. This is something that should happen daily for our lives. When we see people in need, do you have care, concern, or compassion? Do you try to meet others' needs? Or when you see people in trouble, you laugh at them, make excuses, put them down? Do you try to meet needs? Or you think, that's somebody else's job. Our hearts should be ones of compassion. God saw us in our terrible condition, and he reached down and loved us enough to give us his son. A compassionate heart like Christ, Jesus looked upon the masses and knew that they needed help. They, looked, they needed a Savior, and He had compassion. Christ also had kindness, and it's another thing we should put on. Kindness, a desire to meet the needs of others for their good. Meeting others' good is, so, is something we, sh, we are designed for. In fact, Ephesians uh, 2, 8, and 9, and 10 really tell us that it's God's gift to us to have faith and believe in Him. Salvation is a gift from God. And he tells us in verse 10, in Ephesians 2.10, our job, or why we were saved, is for good works. And we're designed, we're, we're made so that we can serve others. We can be kind to others for good works. If you look at the life of Christ, there's constant kindness. Reaching out to those that are poor and lowly and caring for them. He goes on, he says, another characteristic we should have there in verse 12, he said, we should put on humility. 
It's one of the most difficult characteristics I think we can have, but it's also one of the most important. When you see a Christian that's proud and prideful and arrogant and full of themselves, it makes you wonder, are they even a Christian? I've been around people that, that claim to be a Christian and all they can do is talk about themselves and about how much they know and how wonderful they are. And you think maybe they're still struggling and they're still needing to real, realize that they need to put on humility or it may be that they're not even a believer because they think that they've done it all themselves. I was good enough. I was the one. Humility is the thing that shows us our pride. Christ showed humility to those that he met. His life from day one till the end of his life was a life lived in humility. He came to this earth for us. Every day of his life, every situation, every conflict, every trial, every time he spoke or parable he gave, every moment on this earth was filled with humility. Think of the king of the world and what he could have done when he came and saw how evil people were. When he was in this world firsthand, what he could have done. Instead, he humbly goes to the cross and died for us. Well, how do we become humble? Well, that's a really difficult thing, right? How do we become humble? Well, if you start saying, Lord, please humiliate me, uh, you might have a strange afternoon. When we, want to be, when we want to be humble, we sometimes start thinking of ourselves first. How can I be humble? Here's one of the better ways to probably do this. It's like Christ, what he did. He thought of others first. He was thinking, what are the needs of these people around me? And then when you meet those needs or when you care for them, don't look for the glory. Don't look for the praise. Don't look to get credit for that job. Don't post it on your Facebook wall. Don't take your selfie of it and saying, look what we did. You may. Those things sometimes are helpful. You have to realize, though, sometimes we're so consumed with pride that when we do, humble, we, humble, we do something humble, we want everybody to know, know about it. It's really difficult. There's somebody in this church uh, that is like this to me, and uh, family's here all the time. And I won't say his name, but uh, you would know uh, him because you've probably been a recipient of his gracious care. Oftentimes, he, he, he will do something for somebody and says, I don't want anybody to know about this or who it was, who it was from. And I never asked for any credit. And I won't give it now because he wouldn't want that. But I think, man, that is an example of humility. That is a beautiful example of humility. He goes on. He tells us, Paul says, put on also, besides humility, put on meekness. When we look at the word meekness, it's probably not the first thing that we got yelled at in basketball practice. Guys, be more meek, Right? You probably, when you were uh, pushing, uh, trying to push the line forward in your football practice, you were like, hey, linemen, if you were just more meek, it would be a better, you would be doing a better job. Meekness in our society is not something that's really celebrated. In fact, people would look at meekness and just consider it to be weakness. But meekness is not weakness. Weak, it is actually, meekness is actually power under control. Meekness will suffer injury and insult without giving injury and insult. Meekness will say, I will take the suffering and the, and the criticism that others will give so that I can give glory to God. If you think about Christ, He was gentle, He was lowly, and He was filled with meekness. At a time that He could have just destroyed the people that were trying to kill Him, Christ is meek, and He goes to people, and He cares for them, 
in gentleness and humility. Unfortunately, in our society, people that are bold, brash, arrogant, and even willing to use filthy language to get their point across, they're the ones that are celebrated. Sometimes they're the ones that are the people that get put in front of everybody. This is the person that should be the leader of whatever it is, our club, our country, or our whatever boss or whoever it is. That guy, bold, brash, arrogant, puts people in their place. And I think, boy, does that resemble Christ-likeness? I would imagine Paul would have something to say about this, something like put on meekness. Don't allow your desire to be right. Don't allow your desire to be in control to make you a person that ignores meekness and humility and these things. He goes on and he says, be patient. And then another, I mean, Paul's telling us, look, I mean, we're talking about the Christian's clothing. I mean, these qualities that we're supposed to be wearing and living as a Christian. And he tells us these things and I look at this list and I think, Lord, I struggle in pretty much every single one of these. And we look at patience, and I'm like, well, I'm probably not great at that either. I've got four boys, um, so that helps. Uh, you know, patience is something probably all of us would work on, or should work on. It's the opposite of wrath and quick anger. It's the idea of enduring abuse, enduring wrong. It's the idea of the word long-suffering. This is what Christ did on earth. In 1 Peter 2, 20-23, we saw that Christ stood against all types of mistreatment. In the Gospel, we constantly see Christ armed. He's suffering, yet He was patient. He's mocked, yet He was patient. And He did that for our benefit. What a wonderful Lord. What a wonderful Savior. We should live like that. A Christian should be characterized by patience, self-control, allowing things to happen and us to be able to respond in a way that's meek, gentle, lowly, with humility, with kindness, with patience. At your school, you may endure mistreatment and ridicule for the name of Christ. People will say, you shouldn't believe that story. Or they laugh at you or mock. And you patiently endure. And wait for an opportunity to share Christ. Not waiting for an opportunity to throw the next punch. You wait for the opportunity to not actually throw the next insult or cut down. You wait to say something kind and gentle about Christ. Patient. And he says, goes on, he says, be lovingly tolerant or bearing with another. He says uh, there, bearing with one another or lovingly, lovingly tolerant. This means we hold back or endure even in, t- in attacks. One does not retaliate when others would. Christians endure afflictions and persecution. 1 Peter 4.8 tells us something along this about forbearance and tolerance. It says, Above all, keep loving one another earnestly, since love covers a multitude of sin. When somebody sins against us, our first reaction is to not be lovingly tolerant. The first reaction is not usually to bear one another. And you know, this is actually hardest to do, I believe, with the ones that are closest to us. You know, sometimes people that uh, we just meet for once or twice, or we're just trying to impress for one time, maybe at a job interview, or we go to some kind of uh, you know, corporate thing, we're willing to forgive or be forbearing because we know that makes a good image on us. When it comes to our wife or our spouse, husband, maybe our siblings, maybe our family that's close to us, 
it's pretty easy to just say smart remarks back to them, unkind words. When somebody offends you, we're not lovingly tolerant. In fact, I'm going to show them how big I am by cutting them down. Church members, how lovingly tolerant and forbearing are you with one another? Does somebody do something that bothers you and you think, boy, they do this and I wouldn't do it that way. You know what? Who cares? But some of us are so controlling and so prideful and want our way so bad, we're going to tell them what we think. If it's a sinful thing, we should obviously try to help work them through that. But sometimes it's just something that they do that we think, I have to give my opinion on that. Lovingly tolerant. Then he goes on. One of these last ones he says, in verse 14, he says, if one, one another has a complaint against, uh, if, if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other. As the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. This is an interesting verse, or the interesting part of this verse. He uses the word forgive three times here. It's almost as if we might miss this one. Forgiving each other. As the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. I mean, all the other ones he mentions once, and then he talks about forgiveness, and he says it in a way that helps us understand, put on forgiveness because you've been forgiven. The basis of our forgiveness is because we've been forgiven a debt that we could never repay ourselves. We could never repay the debt that we owed to Christ. We could never forgive ourselves of our sin. God forgave us of our sins because of Jesus. He says, so because of that, let me remind you, put on forgiveness. In Ephesians 4.32, it says, Be kind one to another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God and Christ forgave you. If one has a complaint against us, we forgive. If we realize this verse, it would start to eliminate the grudges that are held in our heart. When we see that person that may have offended us, we say, Lord, help me forgive them because I have a grudge that frustrates me and I need to forgive. Help me to continue to forgive. This obviously is something that we should not have. Our bitterness and, and grudges shouldn't be in our life, but yet that happens so often. Somebody offends us and we realize the next time we see them, we hear their name or think of them, we think evil. We think we put them down in our mind. You know, in front of everybody, we might be kind. We might actually put on a good show, I mean, put on that you know, garment that makes you look good, but in our hearts, it's just filled with bitterness, self-righteousness, saying that person doesn't deserve whatever it is. I should actually hurt that person. And maybe you, you know enough to stop, but you're not actually willing to forgive. You know, God forgave us. God doesn't look at us and say, man, look at that guy, that Tad Wykobin, he keeps sinning. I mean, I saved him. And, 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 I mean, of course he wants me to stop sinning, but he doesn't look at me and say, boy, I guess I'm going to stop making him my child. No, he keeps us. I'm his. He makes us his forever. And when I sin, I go to him in repentance and ask for forgiveness. But God has forgiven us, and so we forgive others. I remember I was on the mission field with a, a missionary that had been uh, 30 years serving the Lord. And we were in Asia at that time. And he said, you know, brother, I think I could preach on, the, on forgiveness every single week, and there would be a great response. And he said, the reason because of that wasn't because of his wonderful preaching on forgiveness. It was because he realized 
we have so much to forgive. And we are often so bitter. We are so frustrated. We hold such grudges towards others that we don't forgive. And you may be saying, hey, move on to the next point because I don't like this. No, I think this is one of the points that, that Jesus wants us to see. Paul says it in a way three times, forgive, right? I want you to check your heart. Brothers and sisters, think, even in your heart now, who are the people that frustrate me? What are the things that I have against them that I've been holding on to that I should forgive? I mean, one of the most clear signs of our resurrected life that we have new life in Christ is that we forgive others. Forgiveness is something that should, share, should be a, a mark of Faith Baptist Church. If somebody said, what, how can I describe Faith Baptist Church? I would hope that one of the first things they say would be they're a forgiving church. They're a loving church. I mean, they could say they're very hospitable. They're going to get a handshake. They're going to, you know, it's going to be nice to meet everybody. That's all wonderful. Are we forgiving? Do we show people God's forgiveness to each other? Look down at the last verse, and we'll finish up here with this verse. Colossians 3, 12 said, Put on then as God's chosen one, holy and beloved. And he tells us all these things we should do. And then he says in verse 14, Above all, put on love which binds everything together in perfect harmony. This is like the new covering it's like the super glue of the church or the belt that holds it together, the, fi- the finishing piece of the garment. He says, let love, put on love above these things. It binds everything together in perfect harmony. It's a beautiful thing. We see in 1 Corinthians 13, we see all these gifts that people could have, all these wonderful gifts. But Paul said in 1 Corinthians 13, if you don't have love, all of these other gifts are useless. Love is the gift that should unite us. Love is the gift that actually is the thing that should actually bring us together around Christ. We forgive others and we love them because Jesus did. You've probably, if you've watched too, very much TV or, or just seen infomercials or had your TV on at 3 a.m., you probably saw somebody that started off the commercial this way. Phil Swift here with flex tape, and then he gets the flex tape, and then he slaps it on this tank that's got this huge thing, this, uh, this, this water gushing out the side. You ever seen that? Phil Swift here, right? And uh, Phil Swift has made a career, and uh, actually passed away, I believe, a few years ago, but he made a career selling flex tape and flex glue. And probably if you go to Home Depot to fix a leak when we have a freeze in South Texas, maybe the first thought is, well, I don't want to do the whole thing. Let's just get some flex tape. And it seals everything. No leaks, no problems. It kind of brings to mind when I read this passage, put on love, which binds everything together. It's kind of like that flex tape that holds everything together, that keeps it in, covers those problems. When we, for, when we bear with one another, We forgive one another. Why do we do that? Well, God's done that for us, and He loved us. It covers all those things. What does true Christ-like love look like in a person's life? Well, hopefully love makes you joyful because you know what God has done, and you love one another. It makes you do what pleases others and help others. You serve them because of love. Sometimes love helps us realize some of these tasks that we do for Christ aren't really that bad. It helps us glad, be glad to talk to one another, to care for one another. 
Love doesn't look for the great fame and riches or the great recognition. Love says, I'm going to care for that person because that's what God wants me to do. It's been told, and I'm not sure if this is a story that's just been told by preachers or if it's a true story, story from the first century, but it's been told in the first century that after Christ uh, left and this, then the many Christians were around in these churches, the Roman government was disturbed about the early church, and Christians were increasing rapidly, and all this happened for sure. And because they wouldn't take incense and put it before the image of the emperor, the Romans thought they might be disloyal. So they sent spies to the meeting, and they came back with this report. These soldiers came back to tell the Roman government, there are Christians, they're very strange. They meet together in an empty room, but they worship. They don't have an image. They speak of one by the name of Jesus who is absent but they seem like they expect him to come back at any time. And oh my, how they love one another. I don't know if that's an accurate description of a story that's just been told, or maybe just a description of what our meeting should be like. We worship a Jesus that we don't see, but we know he lives because the word of God tells us he does. And he is alive even as we know in our lives today. But I wonder, has the love of Christ changed your life? Do you love others like Christ loved you? Your actions and your characters, they show the qualities of who you are. They show who you are and who you represent. Maybe as when you were a kid, you were told to change clothes before you were leaving the house. Maybe you were heading to a wedding and you had you know, an ACDC shirt on and you were told to take that shirt off. That's not appropriate. And 30 years later, sometimes your spouse maybe tells you the same thing. That's not nice enough for this event. You've pulled, maybe you were told, though, as a kid, go change that shirt. We're not wearing Minecraft to a wedding. You're a Wycopen. You don't look like that. You're a insert the last name. You don't act like that. What was your dad or mom saying? Based on who you are in this family, you're not going to look like this. What we wear tells a lot about us, and the way we live tells about a lot about who we are and whose we are. Clothing tells a lot about a person. A bum or a person on the street might be known by his dirty, ragged clothes. A wealthy person might have his suit and trying to impress others. Somebody sophisticated, talking on the newest garments. A soldier would be known by his military uniform. All those things show somebody what they wear and who they may have a status of in this life. But really, the qualities that we show, these listed in this passage, these things that we put on, this represents who we are in Christ. Sometimes we're more worried about our appearance and how that comes across, and we're less worried about our attitude and the things that are represented here. You know, are you a person that could be known as a Christian, because of your love, your forgiveness, your kindness, your forbearance. Believers should clothe themselves with the qualities of Jesus Christ so that when people look at them, they see Jesus Christ. We are His, so we should live for Him. Let's pray. Father, we have a great responsibility to show love and kindness and forgiveness to others. Lord, because You have shown those to us, 
Lord, as I look through this passage and even think on these qualities this week, Lord, I struggle with them. And I know many of us do. I pray, Lord, that you would forgive us. But, we, Lord, we know that you love us and you forgive us. And I pray that you would help us forgive others and start by loving others and showing others the kindness that they deserve. Lord, help us to improve one day after another, living more like Christ, so that, Lord, we can be made into your image, and, Lord, so that we can represent our Jesus well, and so that the world would see that you are worth it. Lord, for those here that may not know you, that, that, that they're wondering about salvation, I pray that you would convict them, and even show them of their sin, and help them to see how much you loved them because of Jesus. Lord, help us to love you and love one another. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.